You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. So we continue our discussion of the events that happened in Khaybar. It has been reported that the Prophet ﷺ warned his companions not to fight unless he gives them permission to fight. He made it very clear. Don't fight until I tell you to fight. A man from the tribe of Ashja', he didn't listen to the Prophet and he tried to attack a Jewish man. Some reports say it was Marhab, the Jewish man. But the Jewish man, being Marhab, the warrior that he is, he killed this Muslim man from the tribe of Ashja. So he got killed. He went to kill him, he got killed. Some Muslims said this man became a shaheed, a stashhad. The Prophet here objected. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ أَبَعْدَ مَا نَهَيْتُ عَنِ الْقِتَالِ After I prohibited him and you guys from starting the war, from fighting, you still call him a shaheed? قَالُوا نَعَمْ Like, yeah, why? The Prophet said, when he realized that the companions are still not grasping what happened, the Prophet had someone make an announcement saying, لا تحل الجنة لعاصن. Heaven is not lawful to one who is disobedient. You have to obey your rightful leader. It's very dangerous to undertake such a sensitive move. You can endanger all Muslims. The Prophet told you don't fight. Why are you fighting? If you're there for Allah and the Prophet, Allah and the Prophet are telling you don't fight yet. So who are you obeying? Just like Sulaiman, by the way. Some people object to the story of Sulaiman that uh, when he found the hudhud missing, he made a threat. What was the threat that Sulaiman made? Right, that I am going to slaughter him. Or... I am going to torture him. Unless he, he justifies it. He tells me why he's delayed. Where's the hudhud? How come he's not here? Because the hudhud was commanded, you know, to be around Sulaiman and to follow certain procedures. That day, Sulaiman saw him missing. He didn't come. So why did he make such a threat? You know, I will slaughter this animal or torture the animal. Potentially disobedient. Sulaiman says, I still don't know. Let him come and we'll hear what he has to say. This means that when you disobey the commander that Allah has appointed, it's a grave sin. You deserve that type of punishment. Sulaiman was just making that very clear. That anyone who disobeys me and I am the representative of Allah, that's a, grave, that's a grave crime. So it's very important for us to follow those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has appointed. And unfortunately this ummah, they disobeyed the Prophet and, this, and they disobeyed you know, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam. So the Prophet he's here states, لا تحل الجنة لعاص. Heaven is not lawful for you if you disobey me. And how many times that some companions disobey Rasulullah Then the Prophet looks at his army and he says to them, when you meet the enemy, make this dua. Allahumma anta rabbuna wa rabbuhum. Allah, you're our Lord and their Lord. 
see the beautiful dua the Prophet teaches you even when you're facing your enemies? In other words, the Prophet's telling you, look, don't dehumanize your enemy. Sure, we have a problem with them. They're trying to undermine us and eradicate us. But remember, Allah created them. Oh Allah, you're our Lord and you're their Lord as well. You are the one who basically, you know, uh, you control us and you, you, you control them. Meaning that uh, your, your power surrounds us and your power surrounds them as well. And it's not that we're going to kill them, you're going to defeat them. So this was a beautiful dua to remind Muslims that they are fighting for the sake of Allah, not for the sake of worldly reasons. And number two, don't dehumanize your enemy. Allah is still their Lord. So that was a beautiful dua that the Prophet teaches his companions to make. So the fighting ensues around the fort of Na'im. The fort of Na'im, it seems it was the first fort where the fighting starts. The Prophet told Muslims to sit down and then attack to rise. And then when they attack, to rise and fight them, saying Allahu Akbar. So the Prophet told them when the war starts, sit down on the ground and then attack them. This had a powerful psychological effect in disorienting them a little bit. Because imagine if you're fighting this group and then they're sitting on the ground, suddenly they get up Allahu Akbar and they you know, attack you, it disorients you. It had a nice psychological influence. So the Jews, they would rain them down with arrows, striking Muslims with the arrows. Now the Muslims, they would catch those arrows and they'd strike them back at the Jews. Such fighting would continue during the day and then in the evening they would go to their camp. This happened for many, many long days. We'll conclude with the story of the black shepherd who embraces Islam at Khaybar. It has been reported that there was an Abyssinian slave from Habasha owned by a Khaybari Jewish man and he'd look after a herd of sheep. He was a shepherd. When he saw the Jews getting ready to fight, he asked them, what are you up to? Who are you fighting? They said, we're fighting this man who claims to be a prophet. This caught his attention. Like you really wanted to know who is this man. He set out with his herd. He was looking after them when suddenly the Muslims captured him because the war had started basically. They bring him to the Prophet This Abyssinian slave, he has a conversation with the Prophet and he asked the Prophet, what is it that you call to? You're a Prophet, what are your teachings? So the Prophet explains to him the basics of Islam, the oneness of Allah, that he is the messenger of Allah, and so on and so forth. The slave asked this question. He told him, what do I get if I testify to these shahadat that you have mentioned, and I believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what's in it for me? He said, you will be entitled to heaven. Then the black slave said to the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, inni rajulun aswadul I'm a black person meaning I live in a society that is racist and looks down on me. And I'm ugly. Now was he really ugly or those Khaybari Jews had told him you're ugly? I don't know. But unfortunately he had like accepted this. By the way, there are some people maybe with less confidence when people tell them that, you know, 
you're this, you're that, you're ugly, they begin to believe it. And it may not be true. And then he says, لا مالالي. And I'm poor, I don't have any money. فَإِنْ قَاتَلْتُ حَتَّى أُقْتَلْ أَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ If I fight defending you, will I really go to heaven? Like he had a hard time believing that he can go to heaven. And look at the oppression of that society. I mean, how much they had belittled him, right? Treated him so badly such that he developed an inferiority complex. Like he really thought he was inferior. It's like someone like me really can go to heaven like he couldn't believe it. The Prophet told him, Naam. Yes, of course. Then he said, Ya Rasulullah, Okay, but what about these sheep? In the end, they trusted me with the sheep. So what do I do? The Prophet told him, don't worry. Take them out from the camp and you know, take them um, to this open place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fulfill your amanah. Meaning Allah will send them back to the khaybaris. Don't worry about them. I promise you, they'll go back to their owners. Subhanallah, miraculously, the report states, the sheep gathered as if someone was guiding them and they went back to their original place. They went back to their owners. When the Jewish owner of the slave saw that, he realized he must have become Muslim. Because I don't see him with the sheep. They came back to their places and he's not there. So he knew that he had joined the Muslims. The slave came to the front lines and he fought bravely until an arrow struck him and killed him. This slave, according to the report, had not prayed a single prayer to Allah in his life. But he became a shaheed. Just because in those final moments, he was willing to sacrifice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Muslims take his body to their camp and the Prophet said, لَقَدْ حَسُنَ إِسْلَامُ صَاحِبُكُمْ Look, I know this person has not fasted one day. He has not probably given any zakah. He's not done anything about Islam. Just a few minutes ago, he became Muslim. But he was a true Muslim. He truly sacrificed. And then the Prophet states, I just visited his body now, and I attest that he's with Hur al-Ain. Meaning, Allah took him to heaven. Another version states, the Prophet make this dua on his body. You thought you had an unpleasant face. Allah has now given you a pleasant face. And Allah has now given you a lot of wealth. And then the Prophet states, you know, I saw the Hurul Ain with him now. And in another report, the Prophet says, I saw Hurul Ain removing the dust from his face. And they made the dua, those two Huris, they said, May Allah put dust on the face of those who did this to you. And may Allah kill those who killed you. So that shows you that honestly there were sincere Muslims who truly sacrificed. Maybe we don't even know their name. You know, we don't know much about them. But these were true shuhada who defended Rasulullah And it shows you the Prophet, how humble he was in a society where an Abyssinian slave honestly had no value, no worth, treated like an animal not even a second-class citizen, such that he himself had accepted that he's inferior. That's how much they stepped on him and on his, on his dignity. The Prophet makes him a shaheed. The Prophet tells him, yes, of course, Allah will give you that status. There's no difference between you and others. And the Prophet 
treats his body with so much respect, that really shows you how much dignity the religion of Islam gave to, to, to everyone, even someone who was considered inferior in that society.